Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Poetry Month is over, but we're still at it on Scribble. Welcome to Scribble, 30 minutes of conversation, comments, and reviews on reading and writing, editing, publishing, and selling books. I'm Rebecca Wee. And I'm Don Wooten. We've been talking to poets all month long. Today, we'll just deal with poems on Scribble. Had enough poetry? No, never. <laughs> oh, <no>. never. <laughs> You're greedy, greedy, greedy. Never, <laughs> never. <laughs> oh, it must be. You know, I'm not afflicted with the idea of uh, of being a poet. And, uh, of course, you're not only afflicted with the idea, but you are. You're a published poet. You've been a poet laureate. And uh, so one of these days, <clears throat> we're going to have a program where you read your poems and I'll read mine. Oh, nice. Okay. And uh, I was wondering if maybe I should write a poem about you and you could write a poem about me. Oh, we could try that. We could try that, but let's not do that for a while. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I thought what we'd do today <clears throat> is just read some of our favorite poems and see how that goes. I'd like to mention that you can contact us at uh, on by email at contact scribble, period, 1014 at gmail.com. If you want to complain about this program, that's the way to do it. <laughs> if you want to give us advice on, on poetry or anything else, we'd love to hear from you. So that's contact scribble, one zero, pardon me, that little period in there I is know. a nuisance. Contact scribble, period. 1014 at gmail.com. Okay, we're going to read our favorite poems today. You want to start? Yeah, and I'm going to say some of these are favorites and have been for a long time, but I also stuck in here a couple newer ones that are um, on my mind right now, given what's going on in the world. So the first one um, is titled Instructions on Not Giving Up. And really, it's a spring poem, as you'll see. It's by the poet Ada Limon, who's from Sonoma, California. Um, so this is a short one, but it seems to fit a lot of different things. Instructions on not giving up. More than the fuchsia funnels breaking out of the crabapple tree, more than the neighbor's almost obscene display of cherry limbs shoving their cotton candy-colored blossoms to the slate sky of spring rains, it's the greening of the trees that really gets to me. When all the shock of white and taffy, the world's baubles and trinkets, leave the pavement strewn with the confetti of aftermath, the leaves come, patient, plodding, 
a green skin growing over whatever winter did to us, a return to the strange idea of continuous living despite the mess of us, the hurt, the empty. Fine, then, I'll take it, the tree seems to say, a new slick leaf unfurling like a fist to an open palm. I'll take it all. Very good. Very yeah, good. Isn't that cool? A positive thing. You know, the interesting thing about spring, it is the time when most suicides occur. Oh, isn't that something? And I, when I discovered that fact, I was stunned because yeah. spring is such a time to come alive. But apparently when people are oppressed by almost mm -hmm. anything and the thought of starting again is <clears throat> just too much and so they don't. Yeah. But yep. that is a great spring poem. Who wrote that again? It's Ada Limon, spelled L-I-M-O-N, and she's a fairly oh. young poet, but she's got a couple new books out, and that's that's one of the poems I heard on poets.org that I love. Well, I've got a real old poem here, but it and I chose this not because it's a favorite poem. At one time, when I was a young man, it was. <laughs> but it's uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning's Sonnet 43. The reason I chose it is because I thought these poems from that period are kind of stuck in a category. And I thought, what would it be like if an actor took this poem as lines in mm. a play? And maybe a difference in delivery would make a difference. Well, that's an interesting... So I thought I'd try that. All right. Okay. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with a passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with a breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. Yay, wonderful. Yeah, well, it's almost like it, like um, the way you delivered that, like you were um, the poet just speaking it or inventing it as, as it went. You yeah, know, uh -huh. and I think that does make a difference. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. But, uh, okay, that's one down for each of us. It's All your right. Turn. <laughs> the next one I decided um, that I always want to, in moments like this, if I can, to give a little nod toward the two poets who helped me most learn how to write, um, actual teachers that I had, not just writers in books. So the first one is by Donald Hall, and it's an old one um, called The Oxcart Man. He also has a children's book by that same title, um, and he's kind of well, he he was famously funny with this because p apparently sometimes after he read it, people would just say, that's such a depressing poem. You do all this work 
and then you have to start it all over again. And he'd always say, you've got life wrong. You know, this is, <laughs> this is thrilling. This is what it's all about. So here's Oxcart Man. In October of the year, he counts potatoes dug from the brown field, counting the seed, counting the seller's portion out, and bags the rest on the cart's floor. He packs wool sheared in April, honey in combs, linen, leather tanned from deer hide, and vinegar in a barrel hooped by hand at the forge's fire. He walks by his ox's head ten days to Portsmouth Market and sells potatoes and the bag that carried potatoes, flaxseed, birch brooms, maple sugar, goose feathers, yarn. When the cart is empty, he sells the cart. When the cart is sold, he sells the ox, harness, and yoke, and walks home, his pockets heavy with the year's coin, for salt and taxes. And at home, by fire's light in November cold, stitches new harness for next year's ox in the barn and carves the yoke and saws planks, building the cart again. That's good. And that's a slice of life. Yeah. Because yep. in the old days, yep. in the Midwest, they get a barge yep. and load it up with merchandise and float down the river, sure. selling stuff along the way, getting to New Orleans, break it up and sell it, and yep. then walk back home. <laughs> yeah. Well, his, his family... Um, his great-grandparents, maybe his grandparents, had settled in New Hampshire, and, and he, he and his wife lived there in the farmhouse um, for years after that. And this was based on kind of the, the family, the homestead he grew up in. So, You know, uh, my next poem is, it, it interested me, I uh, saw a little video with Stanley Kunitz mm -hmm. talking about poetry. Mm-hmm. And he said he went into a library and there was a section on English literature and he just reached up and pulled down a book and opened it up and he read this poem, which changed his life. Oh. It's God's Grandeur by Gerard oh, Manley yes. Hopkins. Yep. And I spent a whole class once just dealing with this poem. Mm -hmm. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from ship foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. Why do men then now not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, Nature is never spent. There lives the dearest, freshest, deep-down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, oh, morning, at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with, ah, bright wings. Uh, yeah. What interested me in that is the line, all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. And this line, the soil is bare now, 
nor can foot feel being shod. Mm -hmm. And I used that for my high school students. I said, that talks about being divorced from nature. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Give me examples. Yeah. And it's true, you know, that we isolate ourselves in homes, create our own atmosphere with heating and air conditioning. Cover ourselves up. Yeah. You know, wear our big, thick shoes so we don't feel the... Well, we pave the ground over. Yeah. And it's possible living in a city just to be peripherally aware Mm -hmm. of nature. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a... That, I think, does something to the human spirit to be divorced from the life of the world. Yep. And and Hopkins was just uh, so in love with the world, but also just this lush language that he used in such a oh, yeah. fabulous way. It gets pretty thick sometimes. Yep, it does. But he had an interesting life, I must say. It's just... Some ways tortured and some ways joyous, but yeah. uh, he left some interesting poetry. Yeah. Now what? Well, since you mentioned um, someone finding a book that changed their lives, I don't know if this changed my life, but I've years ago um, I was visiting a friend in Portland, Oregon, and I got into um, Powell's City of Books, which in Oregon is huge. And instead of poetry being, you know, three books on a shelf at the bottom of the literature section, there was a whole room with a ladder that you could drag around and climb up. And, you know, it was just, I was in heaven. So I started with the A's. I climbed up this ladder, started at the top. And I'd never heard of this um, poet, Danny Abse, spelled A-B-S-E. He's a Welsh poet and a doctor and a novelist and a playwright. Um, but this poem, it was the first one. I just picked the book up, opened it up randomly. And it's a good example of those poems that find us at points in our lives where we don't know we even need it as much as we do. It's a strange poem, but I still get chills. So it's called The Uninvited. They came into our lives unasked for. There was light momentarily, a flicker of wings, a dance, a voice, and then they went out again like a light, leaving us not so much in darkness, but in a different place and alone as never before. So we have been changed and our vision no longer what it was and our hopes no longer what they were. So a piece of us has gone out with them also, a cold dream subtracted without malice, the weight of another world added also. And we did not ask, we did not ask ever for those who stood smiling and with flowers before the open door. We did not beckon them in, they came in uninvited, the sunshine pouring from their shoulders. So they walked through us as they would through water. And we are here in a different place, changed and incredibly alone. And we did not know, we do not know ever. That is strange. Isn't it? Yeah. Whether you read that as 
you know, a person that enters your life and leaves again but changes you, or whether I read it sometimes as the poems that find us because or of the way the, I found some that. spirit, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. at various stages in your life, things happen. Yeah. It's happened to me, something, I will think something, and my life will turn yeah. in that direction. Yeah. It's just astounding when yeah. it happens. Yeah, but, I love the mysteriousness of that one that also just kind of feels... I didn't know what it was about, but it just felt so true when I read it that I thought, <laughs> ah, a new poet to read. The things that come in our lives and change them are really something. Yep. Now, I've talked about this poem, Ad Nauseam, <laughs> but I'm going to read it today, although it's very hard for me to read and it's long. But it's uh, by Edna St. Vincent Millay, The Ballad mm. of the Harp Weaver. Yes. Uh, Thomas Hardy said there are only two great things about the United States, <laughs> skyscrapers and the poetry of Edna St. Vincent Millay. Uh, pretty, pretty high phrase. Uh-huh. This is one of those mysterious poems that really has a point. Son, said my mother when I was knee high, you need of clothes to cover you and not a rag have I. There's nothing in the house to make a boy breeches, nor shears to cut cloth with, nor thread to take stitches. There's nothing in the house but a loaf end of rye and a harp with a woman's head nobody will buy. And she began to cry. That was in the early fall. When came the late fall, son, she said, the sight of you makes your mother's blood crawl. Little skinny shoulder blades sticking through your clothes, and where you'll get a jacket from, God above knows. It's lucky for me, lad, your daddy's in the ground and can't see the way I let his son go around. And she made a queer sound. That was in the late fall. When the winter came, I had not a pair of breeches nor a shirt to my name. I couldn't go to school or out of doors to play, and all the other little boys passed our way. Son, said my mother, come climb into my lap, and I'll chafe your little bones while you take a nap. And oh, but we were silly for half an hour or more, me with my long legs dragging on the floor, a rock, rock, rocking to a mother goose rhyme. Ah, but we were happy for half an hour's time. But there was I, a great boy, and what would people say to hear my mother singing me to sleep all day (laughs) in such a daft way? Men say the winter was bad that year. Fuel was scarce and food was dear. A wind with a wolf's head howled about our door. And we burned up the chairs and sat upon the floor. All that was left us was a chair we couldn't break and a harp with a woman's head nobody would take for song or pity's sake. The night before Christmas, I cried with a cold. I cried myself to sleep like a two-year-old. And in the deep night, I felt my mother rise and stare down upon me with love in her eyes. I saw my mother sitting on the one good chair, a light falling on her from I couldn't tell where, looking nineteen and not a day older, and the harp where the woman's head leaned against her shoulder. Her thin fingers moving in the tall, thin strings were weave, weave, weaving wonderful things. Many bright threads from where I couldn't see were running through the harp strings rapidly, and gold threads whistling through my mother's hand. I saw the web grow and the pattern expand. She wove a child's jacket, and when it was done, she laid it on the floor and wove another one. She wove a red cloak so regal to see. She's made it for a king's son, I said, and not for me. 
but I knew it was for me. She wove a pair of breeches quicker than that. She wove a pair of boots and a little cocked hat. She wove a pair of mittens. She wove a little blouse. She wove all night in the still cold house. She sang as she worked and the harp strings spoke. Her voice never faltered and the thread never broke. And when I awoke, there sat my mother with a harp against her shoulder, looking nineteen and not a day older, a smile about her lips and a light about her head, and her hands and the harp strings frozen dead. And piled up beside her and toppling to the skies were the clothes of a king's son just my size. <laughs> Oh, it makes you smile and cry at the same time, it's, doesn't it? I, I got through that without breaking up. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> because oh. I think that is the perfect statement of the depth of a mother's love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would just, it's close to a king's son, just my size, yeah. and I would lose it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just wonderful. But she does, uh, she does a wonderful job. And that particular verse form, the ballad, is hard to do. It is, yep. Technically, it's difficult, and yet... And to have it sound natural. She just breezes through it. Yep, yep. Like a skyscraper. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, let's see. It's so hard to choose. I think I I won't be happy with myself if I don't read um, We Lived Happily During the War, which is a poem written, I think, in 2013 by a um, Ukrainian poet named Ilya Kaminsky. He's an American citizen. His family um, was granted political asylum in 1993, I think, early 1990s. Um, But he was born in Odessa when it was part of the former Soviet Union. Um, But he wrote this... He's a very interesting poet that people should know about, Ilya Kaminsky, K-A-M-I-N-S-K-Y. And this poem has resurfaced again. We lived happily during the war. And when they bombed other people's houses, we protested, but not enough. We opposed them, but not enough. I was in my bed Around my bed, America was falling, invisible house by invisible house by invisible house. I took a chair outside and watched the sun. In the sixth month of a disastrous rain in the house of money, in the street of money, in the city of money, in the country of money, our great country of money, we, forgive us, lived happily during the war. Wow. That yeah. is, uh, that's tough. He's, <laughs> he's really interesting. There's an essay um, that came out in mid-March just by, that he was interviewed and that he wrote called The War Never Left. It's a kind of conversation with him um, that is worth reading. I think it was in The Guardian. I think that's where I found it. But, yeah, he's got an interesting perspective. Yeah, um, in the... Land of money, money, money. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, it's odd to say, but money is a fiction. Yeah. The paper and stuff has yeah. no intrinsic value, but we agree that it's worth something, and yeah. so it is. Yeah. 
And that's the thing that uh, people don't remember. It is a fiction. Mm -hmm. But it is a fiction that dominates that us dominates. more than reality. Exactly. Yep. Here's one that got to me when I was in high school. I used to spend my lights on, nights on the roof of St. Thomas School, which was right next door, mm. uh, counting meteors. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then I read this poem. When I heard the learned astronomer, when the proofs, the figures were ranged in columns before me, when I was shown the charts and diagrams to add, divide, and measure them, when I sitting heard the astronomer where he lectured with much applause in the lecture room, how soon unaccountable I became tired and sick. Till rising and gliding out, I wandered off by myself in the mystical moist night air, and from time to time looked up in perfect silence at the stars. By Walt Whitman. Yeah. And I felt that way. When I went to college, I signed up for a course on astronomy. And if I ever hear the word parallax again, I will hit <laughs> somebody. It all got down to math and so on. And the romance of astronomy yeah. vanished. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the way it goes. Oh, man. So do you have another one? I do. This one, um, this is a poet I've kind of recently discovered. Her name is Anya Silver. She died at age 49 um, and was diagnosed with cancer, I think, uh, in 2004 or something. So she lived with it for a long time and wrote a lot about what it meant to live knowing you weren't, there was no cure. There were, they weren't going to help her survive it. Um, so her mother was from Switzerland. Her father was an immigrant from Ukraine. Um, and the title of the poem is Stage Four. Okay. This also is interesting given what's going on in the world. Um, it opens with a line by a writer named Dragan Javonovich Danilov. And the line is just, I have no other body, no other city. So this is Anya Silver's poem, Stage Four. Suddenly, gloved hands empty the rooms of my house, and I'm told to take only what I can carry. Faces turn away from me. I'm taboo now. The boat I'm set inside is crowded with others like myself. They come from their own cities. Cautiously, we take each other's hands and trade stories. We learn of the lucky few who return, who are able to cross back over. And in time, their shame comes to be known as victory. We use words that once embarrassed us, courage, prayer, miracle. And always we long for our old homes. We draw scarves over our faces when we weep, singing the songs of our ancestors. In this exile, no pillar of dust and fire guides us. Our passports have been stamped. Our wrists and collarbones have been marked. Even when the old promises begin to fall away, when we see less clearly the gardens of our former lands, still we are together, friends. We know what our beloveds do not yet know. We see through each other to the lapping silence beyond the Milky Way. 
Hmm. Where do you find these poems? Oh, this was um, this was actually a colleague who's teaching um, a course on literature and medicine. So she discovered this poet and told me about her, and now I'm I'm really moved by the beauty of how someone writes about facing death, you know, yeah. and what it means to live with that. Um, There's so. a short one. From my mother's sleep I fell into the state, and I hunched in its belly till my wet fur froze. Six miles from earth, loose from the dream of life, I woke to black flack and the nightmare fighters. When I died, they washed me out of the turret with a hose. Randall Gerald. Yeah. We got to do this again, you know, but our time We're is out of up time. <laughs> well, it's easy to just get lost in it, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That's reading poems. We could spend a lot of time at this, but time does pass, and so we must make room for something else on the schedule. All right. Uh, contact scribble period 1014 at gmail.com. Contact us and be back next week for another session of Scribble. <laughs>